0: Hello there, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. We have the pleasure today of speaking with Dr. Ian Hale, who is a rather interesting poet researcher. He does it all. This guy does it all. He's an author. He writes. Dr. Ian Hale, welcome to Different Brains. How are you?
1: Very well, Henry. Thank you, Dr. Reitman. And uh, now I say thank you for inviting me. And thank you to all the viewers for watching this as well. It's a great privilege.
0: Well, thank you very much. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience because they want to hear all about you.
1: Um, I don't know where to start, but I'll start by saying um, this is what a person who is autistic and also severely Asperger's syndrome looks like and sounds like. Um, My background is that I was born in Bristol in the southwest of England and educated at Wellesway School. I then went to Portsmouth University and took uh, an arts degree having previously trained as a laboratory chemist with Cadbury Schweppes, so I got my British Pharmaceutical Association grade four as a laboratory analyst. Um, I then became a teacher and taught for many years both in ordinary education and in special education before becoming a college lecturer and finally a university lecturer, at which point I felt that I had gone as far in the education department as I could go, and I left to pursue my own research at a different university called Bar Spa University.
0: Somewhere along the line, you can tell us where, you figured out that you're autistic, is that correct?
1: Well, uh, when I, I, was, I was a problem at primary school, I think you would call it elementary school, I wasn't really doing anything at school. And Britain didn't know anything about this in the 1960s, 1970s. I mean, the, the term Asperger's syndrome was first used in Britain only in 1996. It wasn't until I was working at university when one of my students, Came with a file from the student's home country, saying that the particular student was a Spurgeous syndrome. That I started to research Spurgeous, and realised that my goodness, I tick 52 out of every 50 of these boxes. Um, and then I went to see a, a, a world, a world-renowned specialist at Cardiff University called. Uh, professor William Fraser and he diagnosed me fully, a diagnosis which has been confirmed by the University of Cambridge and also by um, analysing my genome because all autism is inherited normally through the father's line. At that stage I researched my family history back about 250 years and realised that Ooh some of these were were pretty pretty weird people as well reading their letters and their and their correspondence and what people had said about them their, look at that Harris
0: and now so and you so you've uh, you've spoken all over the world and you trace your lineage with autism back i don't know what a couple of hundred years how far well certainly
1: to the 1750s yes that I've been able to so far Wow, I I found out about a, um, a great 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 grandfather of mine who was put into the, the famous Bedlam Luke, um, um insane asylum in London, what was called the Bethlehem Hospital, and I've seen some of the things that he wrote from that, and that the family wrote about him all those years ago. That was in the 1760s, um, and you know, and on from there, and I now recognise you know, from from professional experience, that my, my grandfather was also very Aspie as well. And I have Aspie cousins.
0: Now, do you consider yourself and do you make a distinction between Asperger's and autism?
1: Personally, I do. I, I believe that they share um, genetic sequences in common. I think of them as as overlapping with other versions of neurodiversity in the same way as the rings on the Olympic flag overlap but I think that Asperger's is one of those spaces where the rings intertwine and that it is both a part of autism a part of um, schizophrenia but also an entity within itself and within those so I do in the same way as the international classification of disease um, that the World Health Organization um, make a clear distinction between autism and Asperger's. I agree with that and, and that's what I say.
0: Now, do you think that it's all genetics or it's multifactorial where the genetics certainly play a role and then you have environmental then you have the gut-brain, and then you have all these other factors. Is that what you think? Yes.
1: Um, I mean, I I look at autism. I've defined in the Insider's Guide to Autism Asperger's book that I wrote. um, that that I I have defined two distinct categories of autism. What I have called classical autism, which is purely inherited, or the disposition to get it is purely inherited and then there's acquired autism where people will display the full symptoms of autism due to environmental factors for example heavy metal poisoning or poisoning by pesticide Um, certain drugs can um, mimic autism a traumatic brain injury, a big bang on the head causing brain damage can cause a person to have autistic symptoms. And and yes, uh, Dr. Reitman, the point that you make, the connection between autism and the gut, between Crohn's disease and celiac disease, um, we now know from the latest genetic explorations that these are very, very um, linked together. And, and it's why autistic people often display intolerances. Um, for example, I, I can't eat citric fruit. I, I never get to enjoy an orange or a grapefruit. And I have to have lactose-free milk, otherwise I shall get a migraine. And there, there are a few others, but I won't bore you with them.
0: Now, are you in Spain now, or are you in England now?
1: Uh, I'm currently in, in Spain. English, English winters don't suit my back or neck, I'm afraid, or my sinuses.
0: So you find in Spain, you're much better off than in England.
1: Yes, um, my, I mean the, I, I live near the sea in Spain, so the, the salt in the air helps with my sinuses, and, and of course it's a great deal warmer, which which makes a great deal of difference to me. Um, and I and I, I I like Spain. It's a it's a beautiful country. Um, so basically, I spend the winters. Up to around June in Spain, and then and then England. That varies, you know, year by year. But that's what I try to do. But the most of the writing I've done in Spain.
0: How do you spend your days in Spain? What is the uh, an average day in the uh, life of Dr. Ian Hale?
1: Oh, pretty boring, to be quite honest with you. Um, I I like to keep in touch with my friends and relatives in England and around the world. I have a large number of, of relatives in America, far more than I do in England. Um, if I'm writing, I'm writing. Um I like to go out and see I've made some I've been very, very lucky and made some wonderful, truly wonderful friends here, um, whose company I, I greatly enjoy. And, and that's uh, that's a rare thing for somebody who's a NASB. Um People here tend to be less busy. Spain has a completely different day. Um, it's a very late night culture. So there, are, I know plenty of people who never go to bed before midday. And I know people who don't get up before 11 o'clock at night, particularly in the summer, because it's so hot. So... In a, in a way, to answer your question, there there is no um, sort of typical day, but I do try to, to get some work done every day to try to learn something more, um, to try to communicate more. If it's only writing an email to someone who's written to me about autism, if I just do that, then that's great, because my, my ambition, and I've got plenty, is first of all to publish the sequel that I've written to The Insider's Guide to Autism as um, I want to do a lot of interviews, and this is why I'm so grateful for this opportunity as well, of course. um, I'd like to do lecture tours, and I've also got research into autism um, that I would very much like to do, because I, I've got a couple of theories of my own um, regarding haematology, um, which would take you know quite a bit of work, and and to develop better therapies, better ways of allowing autistic people to communicate with the neurotypical world, and and vice versa. For, for example, I was reading the other day something very interesting that in the Russian Federation, um, autistic children can do their examinations face to face for example, instead of having to write it, they're dyslexic. Or they could also do it through um, puppetry. Or um, uh, through an avatar on a computer. I think that's brilliant. And I would really like to be in the vanguard of developing that kind of technology to make it really good, because it isn't great this far and And to to bring that into the world and and to share that across, because I think the big problem that although the the normal world and the autistic world do do interact to some extent, the big problem is communication, and both sides have to learn a common language, whether it I think music is a wonderful thing and a wonderful therapy. And, and, I, and listening to music is something, you asked about a, a typical day, is something that I try to do every day in the same way as I try to meditate every day to, to keep a, an even and balanced mind, I hope.
0: You see, I think you're making an even bigger point, Ian, though, which is this, that because all of our brains are wired differently and because we might all process things differently Let's focus, instead of focusing on one size must fit all in a monolith, let's tune in as I do now, since I had this aha moment a couple of years ago, and say, how does this person's brain work? And if it works best by doing communicating with puppetry, give them a puppet. An interview that I did with uh, Matthew Schnepps of MIT and Harvard, who's a uh, dyslexic astrophysicist who now has a um, visual learning institute in Boston. Um, He said, ask me any math problem right now. I said, how much is seven times six? He said, I have no idea. My brain won't file that, but I have a calculator. And when I was in college, I used the slide rule. So what's wrong with using that technology instead of insisting you got to do it my way or the highway? And that's what you were just saying. And I agree with you about 8,000%. And that's what we need to do. We need to stop the negativity that if someone's brain works differently it's not negative, it's just different, let's give them what they need to maximize their productivity, their independence, their ability to make a living, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, I I, I agree a thousand percent. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful story, I think, um, that Thomas Edison told. What really happened was that he was doing very badly at school, in the same way as Albert Einstein did very badly at school. Reading really, Einstein's school reports is 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 very eye opening. But to return to Edison, um, the headmaster of the school he was attending wrote a, a letter to his mother, and the, the contents were and obviously I'm paraphrasing. Basically, your son is a disruptive idiot. Um, we don't believe that that he is a person capable of being educated, and uh, the school no longer can do anything for him please keep him home and they, they put a letter they put this letter into the envelope and and um, marked it for Edison's mother he took it home gave it to his mother who opened it and he said mum mum what does the headmaster say and she said thomas um he's written here that and i quote um, your son is a complete genius um we feel that our school has taught him as much as it possibly can and that there is no point, therefore, in young Thomas attending this school anymore. And he's, and it wasn't until years later that he found this letter after his mother had died that he, he realised how important that was to him. And and you said earlier about the the influence of environment and and the and the importance of being positive. And that, that proves, Dr. Reitman, exactly what you said. And and also I, I try to give examples and I've given quite a few in the book, of of people who are um, neurodiverse, who are are not neurotypical, who aren't normal. Um, And of course, one of them was Professor John Nash, the Nobel Prize winner, um, who won the the Nobel Prize for mathematics, who is the subject of a very famous Oscar-winning film with Russell Crowe, um, called A Beautiful Mind, and um, Nash was, was schizophrenic. Um, I mean, other geniuses from the autism world, I mentioned Einstein, who was autistic and a spiritualist. Um, probably the greatest of all physicists, uh, Nikola Tesla, another one. Leonardo we know was. Michelangelo we know was. Um, the great English writer Virginia Woolf, we know, was. Um, we know that, that Mr. Gates from Microsoft is Asperger's syndrome, and and has always been a you know a champion of it. Uh, and probably the most famous example, um, played in a film by uh, Claire Danes, is of course uh, Dr. Temple Grandin, who is the the standard bearer for. Aspies all around the world and was the first person to really um get out there and say look we have a lot to offer as individuals and as a group historically we have um give us the tools and we will do the job to quote and it's great that companies like microsoft have come to understand this and they're going around and actively looking to recruit you know, people on the spectrum, because they do have a different set of gifts. As you say, different brains, different gifts. And people are just beginning to realize that there's something special there. And and that is why I'm so keen to get out and, and do these tours and make appearances and explain to the world that hey, we have something to say as well, as well and we want to contribute passionately. Now, now, give us the opportunity, listen to what we have to say, we'll listen back, and we'll find common ground to promote the common good. And, and that's what I'm about.
0: That's fantastic. And I salute you. Who is uh, your shining mentor?
1: well i've got to say it was it was my mum and dad and my amazing grandfather um you know that they were we were very poor growing up very very poor and i mean not being able to heat the house during the winter poor um but my parents were very educated people and in, instilled a love of learning into me which i did not take to school but there were always books in the house. That there were always games like Scrabble. That that you know were a diversion. That they always found ways, or my grandfather found ways, to buy me interesting toys. I remember I couldn't have been more than five years old. Doctor Reitman, my grandfather brought brought me a kaleidoscope, and the countless hours that I stared into that cardboard tube and. And turned it round and looked at all those fascinating colors and then um, a family friend a few years later probably I was about eight or nine um, built uh, built me a telescope it was about about a yard long made of a cardboard tube with an eyepiece on one end and a lens each end and I was able to see the stars but I'll tell you a a very sort of interesting and and, uh, I think probably defining story. When I was about seven, I remember one evening, um, my favorite teacher from school, whose name was Mrs. Crawford, and I think she was the only teacher in the school who who had belief in me because the the headmaster had already told my parents that he thought I was a complete idiot and a waste of time and a disruptive and and, uh, rude waste of time because I wasn't listening to anything. But Mrs. Crawford had a a different opinion for some reason. And one evening she came round to see my parents and said, look, we have a problem here. Ian is six, seven, eight years old, whatever I was, and he's not reading or writing. He can't read or write. My parents said, that is... That is absolute nonsense. Ian, Ian reads and writes very, very well. He's been able to write since he was three years old and read even earlier than that. And, and Mrs Crawford said, well, no, at school, not. And at this point, my, my dad told me the story afterwards. And this is the point where I actually came. Um, my, my parents called to me because I was in my bedroom. And um, my father got a book off the bookshelf and I remember it was a, a book of poems by um, Tennyson, if I remember right. Right, Alfred me.
0: Tennyson, crossing yes. the bar.
1: Yeah. And uh, my, my dad, my dad, motioned me over, and I saw Missus Crawford there. And you know, what, what's the teacher doing in my house at tea time? You know, I, I was really, I was really shocked. And uh, my dad said, Ian. Um. Open the book at random, and I just opened it, and he said, "Would you be kind enough to to read what Tennyson has written?" And I remember to this day the poem was "The Charge of the Light Brigade." Uh, I I read I read the first page of it, and uh, I remember the look on Mrs. Crawford's face. I I can't describe it, but she went as white as a sheet and I, I started the next page and my dad said okay okay Ian that's enough um took the book back from me and then said Ian will you go into your bedroom and bring your bring your notebooks out because my parents used to buy me um little lined notebooks um of the type they used at school with um paper covers, and and ruled pages inside them. And um, my dad said, bring bring a couple of those in to show Mrs. Crawford. And I did. And they they had the beginnings of my observations on the day, um, descriptions, little stories about our dog Raggy. I remember writing in them because we had a little dog. Um... Uh, and de- just details of running around with my friends. Um, I remember writing a bit about um, trying to make a bow and arrow for myself. Anyway, I, I gave the he said, "Right, give give the books to Mrs Crawford," and and she could see very clearly that you know obviously Ian can read, and and she just turned to my mum and dad because she never she never sat down the whole time; she was standing the whole time, and my parents were sitting. And she said, well, he doesn't do it at school. And my father said, okay, thank you. I'll have a word with him. And my parents asked me why. And I said, well, what they do at school, they're just kids' books. They're so boring. I'm not interested. I've got wonderful stuff here. This is what I want to read and learn.
0: (laughs) And that's the story. That's a great story. We have been speaking with Dr. Ian Hale. Look for the second part of this conversation coming soon to differentbrains.com. Ian's books, including The Insider's Guide to Autism and Asperger's, are available at amazon.com. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.